Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. I don't know what you were watching on TV last night. Not much in the way of local sports, but I was toggling back and forth between the Monday Night Football game where Drew Brees was spectacular, awesome, nearly perfect, and the Saints just blew away the Colts. Taysom Hill caught a touchdown pass, and Drew Brees broke the record for most touchdowns in a career, which... Tom Brady's right there, so he could pass him, but that doesn't seem to be the way the Patriots' offense is going. I think Breeze will pull away from Brady here. Um, but I was watching that Monday Night Football game, but it was out of hand. So I was Googling. I was, Googling. I was uh, bouncing back and forth with, the, uh, with NBA TV where the Dallas Mavericks were taking it to the Milwaukee Bucks. And that was kind of weird because, you know, the, the Bucks have the 18-game win streak and Doncic is out for – weeks however many weeks it turns out to be with a sprained ankle maybe it'll just be a couple weeks but he wasn't in this game and the Mavericks just ran out to a big lead and then the Bucks tried to reel him back in and it was uh it was an impressive performance by the Mavericks they got Milwaukee down and they largely kept him down and I turned it on and Milwaukee had just cut it to 10 going to the fourth quarter and I kept thinking okay Dallas is going to wear down it's going to be harder to close out the game without their star player you know there's all these typical NBA scenarios you're waiting for them to play out and they weren't playing out they were they were trading hoops and I got to say there were a few possessions where the Bucks uh, Ante Kempo over dribbled in the paint, and the former Ute Delon Wright uh, poked the ball away and steal, and they went the other way. And another guy came down and charged, just got out of it. So there were some easier stops for the Mavs mixed in, but uh, that's not to diminish what they did. Without their best player on the road, they got the win. You know, they beat the Lakers earlier this year. The Lakers only have three losses, and one of them's to Dallas. Uh, and there's another handful of big teams that the, the Mavs beat on the road this year. That's. Uh, you know, you list all these teams that could be in front of the Jazz, and I think the Jake, the the uh, the Jazz are behind the Lakers and the Clippers for sure. But the Mavericks, the Rockets, the Nuggets, you know, we'll have to see how this plays out. But it's not automatic that the Jazz are in front of any of those teams. I wouldn't think they'd go any lower than sixth. Um, and and there's actually logic that says, hey, there may not be much separating those teams. It's better to be sixth than fourth or fifth. Get to the opposite side of the bracket from the Lakers. Um, but that's playing things out a long way. You know, we're not at the halfway point of the season yet. So who knows who'll be healthy in the playoffs and what the easier bracket'll be. Um, and I don't think you can give up hope on the Jazz pulling things and getting together to the three seed. It'll be interesting to see who makes moves. We're coming up on the deadline here. Um, or maybe we're at it for uh, trades where the guys who signed in the summer can be dealt, which opens up more possibilities. Uh, for deals, for three-way deals, for multiplayer deals, because there's more players available. Um, and it'll be interesting what kind of move the Jazz make. If they make a move around the edge, which I'm sure they're contemplating, or if they do something major, which I would put it at less than 50-50, but I wouldn't rule it out. they got to find someone to do it with them, and they've got to be willing to make that. But uh, there is no way that they are satisfied with a few games over 500 and fifth or sixth in the West. And it's just, there's no way they find that satisfying. Uh, they need to do better. And they know they need to do better, and they need to send that message that are good young players, that they're active and aggressive, and they're not going to settle for fifth or sixth in the West. Because in this area, super teams, that's not a good message to send to your players when other teams are going to be doing what the Lakers did to the Pelicans and trying to pry those guys away. And whether they wait for free agency or whether they try to do it younger. Uh, 
If you are in a smaller city, if you are in a colder city, or if you are in a not so glamorous city, uh, you got to be aggressive and you got to win and keep your guys, or somebody is going to take them away. Probably not the Lakers now because you know they're capped out right now. Uh, but <clears throat> it's a, it's, a, it's a dangerous time to be good but not great uh, in a smaller, colder city in the NBA. I don't know that it's ever been a great time, but. I think what happened to the Pelicans got a lot of people around the league nervous, and it, and it should. All right, we're going to talk some uh, college football here. Uh, BYU getting ready to go to Hawaii. They got a game on the 24th, uh, but they had media availability yesterday. Kalani Sataki, the head coach, meeting with the team. Here he is. What's your readiness level? Do you feel like you could uh, play right away? Or I do. I, I, feel, I feel really good with um, uh, the way our guys are working, practicing right now, and uh, actually, today was a. Uh, uh, it was really nice to see the guys flying around, and um, you know we got some guys back. I think uh, Baylor and Jaron are practicing full go, full go now, and um, so I think the rest of the group soups back. So uh, this is going to be. I think we'll be be ready to roll, and, and uh, probably get a, guy, a couple guys that were nicked up a little bit uh, back tomorrow. And I think we'll be we should be as full strength as we possibly can uh, for the bowl game against Hawaii. Austin Francis has a lot of Hawaiian ties. His dad mm-hmm. there. What does he kind of meant to the program and his journey to uh, just kind of overall? Oh, yeah, he's been amazing and, and uh, just willing to do whatever it takes for the team, you know, and, and um, uh, that's why he started a few games for us this year. And I think he's uh, in a position to, to play a lot and, and help impact the game and help us win, win this one. Um, I think this is going to be a, a cool little homecoming for him and, and uh, you know, for his family. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the way AK plays and it, so far, he's been doing a great job in practice. Is it feeling like it's getting to the point where, like in fall camp, players are just getting antsy to, to get back out on the field and hit some, some guys that aren't themselves? Yeah, and I think I think we've seen a lot of great development from the younger guys and then uh, seen a lot of the guys just kind of, um, you know, heal up but also uh, polish a lot of things up. And there's a lot of things that, that we need to improve on. And I think the last outing... Um, you know, it gave our guys a lot more urgency, especially on the offensive side, and and I think they they're looking at this an opportunity to go out and, and show that they're a lot better than what they did against San Diego State and and perform better. So they're using it as, as a lot of motivation for our guys to um, you know have better production, and and uh, I've seen it in practice. And uh, you know, by the time this hits uh, next week, we should be ready to roll. They're looking forward to see the matchup and see how we play against Hawaii, who's a really dangerous team and good team, and so. It'll be a lot of fun. They'll get the best from us. You've been around this BYU-Hawaii game as a player, coach, fan. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of your memories of this game from, from all aspects? Oh, just the passion of, of the fans. And, and um, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of connections between the islands and, and this team. And, and so I think uh, even from coaching staff, there's a lot of guys that are familiar with each other. And so this will be an, another fun game where we know a lot of the guys there and we we want to win, they want to win, and, and uh, we'll get some great competition going and see what happens. But other than that, it's down to the players on the field, and, and we'll let them make the plays, and afterwards we'll deal with the results. Cole McDonald is shown to be a really good thrower, but also a pretty good scrambler. What are you going to mm-hmm. do to maybe slow him down? Yeah, the dangerous part is I think he's running the ball a lot better now, and I think he's, uh, you know, you're looking at the production when he does tuck the ball and go, he's... Uh, you know, he, he, both quarterbacks do a great job at, at getting yards, and so, and then they, they they've ha- also had some planned runs for the quarterbacks to do. So, it, it adds a little bit more than what we had to defend last year. 
Um, you know, he's a tough guy, and, and he looks like he's ready to put his head down and run over people, and we have to be ready for that. And so I, I think practicing that and having a quarterback that can be mobile and run around a lot uh, is, is a benefit for our defense to get ready for. Is he the biggest reason they've made that jump from what they were last year to bowl eligibility and, and being able to compete the way they are this year, or is there more to it? I'm not sure. I think they, they, they you know, you're looking at um, the way the pass game works for them. It's a really cohesive unit, and I think the improvement in their defense and the way they tackle, they're, they're a lot more physical as a team on, on in all three phases. So it's not like the defense is a lot more physical. The offensive line's physical. Um, the running back's physical, both running backs and, and quarterbacks. And so I think they're willing to do whatever it takes to win games. And they've done a lot of different things. It's not like they just stick to one game plan. They, they've they uh, been able to uh, adapt and, and try to find ways to win games. That's why they won their division and played for the the um, you know Mountain West um, championship and so uh, I, I know there's a uh, I just respect uh, Rolo and I, I know that he can do whatever it takes to, to win games I, he's been able to be flexible and been a lot of a lot of part of been part of a lot of teams that can utilize the quarterback in the run game and then they can also you know spread it out and throw it so uh, right now from what we're seeing it's a dangerous offense that can do a lot of different things and we have to be ready for all of it and luckily we have all this time do you know yet if Tyson is going to try to get his year back or is anything? Yeah, we've been trying to work with that and, and, and looking at um, the, I guess, the, the options that we have and, and trying to push it. But uh, it, it's one of those things that is really out of our hands. Their head coach is another guy who's coaching his alma mater. Mm-hmm. Do you notice, you know, any, any I guess, more passion or any, any uh, different kind of approach to a guy who played at the team that he's he's coaching at now i don't know i guess that's more for you guys you know to see guys that play at their uh, the play their coach at the places that they play and i just know rollo as a person and he's a passionate person and competitive and it, it, that's never changed from when he was a player to a coach as an assistant to it now as a head coach and uh and the, their coaching staff's full of a bunch of guys that, that are, have a lot of pride and in the state of Hawaii and in the university. And so they'll be ready to play and they get the most out of their players. And that's what we're focused on is just uh, knowing that they're going to be ready and we need to make sure that they get our best shot. We know we'll get, we'll get theirs. Speaking of that, he's already said this is special playing BYU. Mm-hmm. Do you sense the same sort of passion from your guys? To face of course, Hawaii? yeah. And, and it's a bowl game and uh, opportunity to play for the senior. So we, 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 uh, we can echo it. it. It is, and we'll confirm that it's a special game for us as well. And, Really looking forward to the game. That's, that's going to be a lot of fun for us. There's Kalani Sataki meeting with the media. I think he said meeting with the team on the way in. What? Meeting with the media as his team gets ready to go to Hawaii here pretty soon for the bowl game with the University of Hawaii. All right. We're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to hear from Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and we are joined now by Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan. Mark, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are we doing? We're doing well this morning. 
So uh, the commissioner's been in the news talking about uh, an 18 playoff, and I think it really resonates with the Utes since they were sitting right there in the five spot before the Pac-12 title game, sweating whether they would get in or not. Uh, how good do you feel about what he's saying and where this might be going when the contract's up in five or six years? Well, I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, I'm interested in exploring what that would look like. I mean, I've always wondered um, from the very beginning, take away this year, but I've always wondered what that what that would look like, how it would affect conference championship games, um, the regular season, you know, all those things. But I, I do think, as we've been through this now for, for a bit, the conversation of of looking into it and, and, and really – Looking at consequences, both good and bad, is something that we absolutely should do as we as we head toward the backside of the original deal. Yeah. So last Friday night, you know, you guys do your press conference with Kyle and the kids, and we're down there, and then I make my way up to the press box, and they got the Cristobal feed in the press box. So I sit down, and I can hear, and I can actually see him on the television. And the first question that I saw him, he'd already been doing it for a little bit, but the first question that I saw him answer was, "Hey, you know, you played Auburn." And even it with, say, you played uh, like Baylor's schedule, which was Stephen F. Austin, San Antonio, and Rice, you know, three teams you're expected to beat, and obviously they did. Say you went that route, didn't play all, a team the caliber of Auburn, even with a three-point loss to the Devils, you could be considered strongly to be in the playoff, and then that would benefit the conference in multiple ways, obviously, including the University of Utah sliding up to the Rose Bowl. And his answer was, well, our kids want to play the best, so we're not going to stop doing that. Plus, I think there needs to be a premium and put on conference titles, teams that win the conference title. There needs to be more weight on that. I'm sitting there looking at it, listening to him, and I go, I thought to myself, I agree completely. We are not putting enough weight. Now, it, it so happens this year the four teams won their conference title, but there's been others in the past where it hasn't happened. Can we get to the situation where we can put weight, especially on the Pac-12, which has to play nine games? Yeah, well, I think it was last year, if I recall, where Ohio State you know, won the conference and, and got leapfrogged by an SEC team. If it wasn't last year, it was the year before. Right. And I and I, I even think I saw Gene Smith, AD at Ohio State, who I don't know well personally, but I have great respect for him. I think he resigned from the committee, uh, which he admitted this last year over that issue, because he really felt that, you know, that was one of the key parameters, uh, or at least bonus points, if you will, and, and, and that didn't happen. So I think since that moment, there's been a lot of conversation um, about that. I, I really do think that that was, was something the committee this year was really focused on. Um, but getting back to the earlier question about, you know, uh, the 18 playoff, I mean, obviously the biggest benefit is it would, I would imagine any model would, would take in the five power five champions and, and, and the at large, maybe the G5 from there. But I think it's really important. I mean, I just going through this incredible year that we had in, in the, in the, in the chase for the championship, the league championship, you know, SC keeping us, keeping us on our toes all year after, after losing to them in September, you know, we didn't win that championship game, but all the effort that, that we would have expended if we had won that, um, you know, I think we would have been more than deserving for that opportunity. Um, but I agree. I, I think winning a P5 championship is deserve of some type of playoff consideration on an annual basis. Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan joining us here. Uh, there have been stories written all around the country about attendance and no-shows, and, uh, and I think, you know, it's something you're working on at the University of Utah, too. 
And I know most of the money comes from TV, but TV loves the passionate studio audience, not the empty seats. And I know this is an issue around the conference as well. Where do you think you're going as a school, and where do you think the conference is going, trying to at least get the people who are buying tickets to use them so it does look better on TV, and uh, that'll be an issue when the TV deal's up? Well, I mean, we... We we haven't we don't have all the data yet from the home season. We're actually compiling all of that right now as we speak. I think there was a narrative that we had more empty seats this year than certainly my first year, um, and I think it's something we have to really look into. I think we need to reach out to those folks, find out, you know, what their reasonings were because we scan and track all that stuff. So we got to really dig into the data. I think that's really important. But overall. I mean, I thought this year was was uh, you know we had we didn't have as many night games as we had uh, the year before last. We had a lot of really bad weather games. Uh, I was talking to Wit about it more than he remembers. So I think there were some contributing factors to all of that. Um, I don't think you overreact, or, but you certainly don't underreact to it. As far as going forward, you know, I think the league has a lot of decisions to make ahead, and 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 I say that collectively, right? The athletic directors with the presidents and chancellors. What what's going to be most important to us in this next deal? You know, I was at UCLA when the first deal was cut, and I remember it as clear as day. You know, here's three and a half billion dollars. Let's go, right? And we went from six million or seven million per school to thirty plus million per school, and the ability for us to invest in our programs and do all those things was was really important. And I think it's lifted our league. Well, what did we give up? We give up complete control of our of our start times and. I mean, I, my first brick in the head was last year. I think I talked to you guys about this. When I, 12 days before the BYU game, they say we're going to kick off at 825, and we had a snowstorm scheduled, you know. So that was that was my first moment coming back to the conference and saying, holy smokes, you know, how do, how do you do that? Um, so I think when it comes down to it, we're going to have to look at our values. We're going to have to look at, at, at all the feedback we've gotten, and we, we're probably going to have to take some of those things back. Now, it's going to cost us. I mean, the TV executives have been pretty clear. It's going to cost us some, but then can we regain that in in and our fan base of being appreciative of that um, and, and given a chance uh, to have more people in the seats? But it's going to be a very interesting conversation going forward for sure. I thought the Morgan Scali situation sent a powerful message to everybody in the conference and maybe throughout the country. We're not going to be undersold. We've got a guy that we want to keep. We're going to pay him whatever the market value is, and if that means we've got to increase it, so be it. But we are not going to lose guys just because we can't afford it. We're going to take that step to do that. With that in mind, how did that work? What are you comfortable in saying in terms of did Kyle approach you or did you go to him and, and whatever you can give us on those details? Well, I think it just goes back to, you know, uh, Morgan and what he represents um, and, frankly, how good he is. Uh, I've just been so impressed with him uh, from the moment I got here. Um, you know, just being very candid, the, you know, maybe the narrative uh, coming in was that it's Witt's defense and, you know, those kind of things. And so maybe that was my impression coming in and certainly uh, – you know, which which philosophies are all over, but I saw clearly that that Morgan's running that thing, and the way he leads, the way his guys talk about him. When we do exit interviews with student athletes, um, what they what they say about him, the influence on their lives. So, you know, I, I believe strongly. Um, at the end of the day, this business has got a lot of stuff that's flying around, but it's all about people and having having a a people in the organization in all spots that you can, and he's one of those a people. And when you have one. Uh, you keep people off them. And, you know, I think Witt and I came together on that one really quick. 
um, and uh, really excited that uh, you know we, we're keeping the band together, so to speak. Mark Harlan, Utah Athletic Director, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So what is the, your, your top priority, the one thing you've watched this for a couple of years now? What do you really want to accomplish in the short run at Utah? You talking about collectively or with the football program? Anything. I mean, you're the Utah AD, so football's the big dog. I get that, but something <laughs> you've seen that you really want to. I know. So, but, but something you really want to do because you've seen this and you know you can do it. Whatever well, it is. Well, I no, I, I appreciate the question. I, I think what I've what I've really thought through over the last bit of time is, and we've seen this this fall. You know, with our fall sports and the way they the kind of seasons they've had is the ability for us to climb competitively across all our sports, right? And what is it going to take to do that? How do we invest to do that? How do we get people rally to do that? Um, raise the bar, um, but also at the same time making sure us as an administration is providing the resources and the things that we need to do that. And to see our volleyball team tonight competing in the Sweet 16, um, you know, to see our soccer team get into to, to the NCAA playoffs, you know, our cross-country team having the highest finish ever, all the while our football team competing, you know, in the top five for the last month of the year. Um, you know, all of those things is, is who I believe we can be. Um, you know, I said from the very beginning that, you know, the, the confetti is, is, has left the room, so to speak, for our entrance into the Pac-12. Now it's time for us to win, you know, across all the platform of sports. You know, at the same time, having the highest graduation rate uh, in the conference. You know, and so if you put all those things together, you've got a real special, special place. The kids want to come in and, and, and study and compete. So the idea here is to create a, a regular pattern of that across all our sports. And what I've seen so far with the kind of support we have, with the kind of staff we have, coaches and students, there's no reason why we can't do this on a regular basis. Back to the Scally thing, there's been at least public speculation that he's viewed as coach in waiting. What's your thought on that? Well, I think he's got all the, the skill set to do it. I mean, I think he's he's a special guy. You guys know him. Um, I know a lot of people probably listening know him because he's been in this community uh, for so long. But um, I, I would think he would be an incredible uh, um, option um, when Kyle decides he wants to golf 36 holes a day and <laughs> spend some time in Hawaii or all the other things that he might want to do in his future. I think he would be an incredible candidate. Well, Mark, we appreciate a few minutes with you this morning and look forward to having you on the show again. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys. There's University of Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan. When we come back, our college basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, really our basketball insider, talking jazz and talking the college game. That's next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Visit the Ford fans on a level six of the next Jazz game. Their free Papa Shot games, cornhole, foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city and mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game, and socializing with friends. The Ford Fan Zone. 
All right, it's time to talk basketball now with our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. He's on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get a Samsung S10 for $0 when you activate a new line of service with a flex lease now through December 26th. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, there's a question here that is bugging literally every Jazz fan. And if you give us the answer, you pass go, you get 200 bucks, and you advance to the lightning round, you win a new car. <laughs> Fix the Utah Jazz bench. Can you help? What's wrong? Every time, not every time. Every time is not fair because they played well in Minnesota. But many of the nights, I'd say 80% of the time that the bench comes into the game, bad things happen. Bad things. Other teams go on runs. Can you fix it? Can you? I think Quinn's toyed with different combinations of guys at different times, and it doesn't seem like anything can be sustained positively. You know, I think the first, I think the first thing you do as a coach is you look at the possibility of you know switching lineups, and uh, you know maybe you know for a long time O'Neal uh, you know came off the bench. Now he's been starting. Uh, Ingles has. Uh, not shot the ball as as well as I, I know that he would have liked. Conley, who is starting, has not shot it well. And you know, you start looking at the last ten games, and it's it, it's one of those things where just, there's just been, like you said, there's been inconsistency. They'll play well for stretches, and then defensively and offensively, they have some slippage. Uh, you know, they, they've got a situation right now where the next the next six games are playing. I mean, they're playing a, a schedule. Other than the Heat and the Clippers, and, and both of those games were on the road and could be difficult places to play, but they got a chance to win four or five games here in the next couple of weeks. And so, if there was ever going to be a time where you're playing some of the lower tier teams, do you take you know you take an opportunity maybe against uh, the Hawks or the Hornets, uh, Magic, and maybe tweak the lineup a little bit? But you know what? I don't. I don't think any trades are being made real soon. So it's those guys that are playing. They're all pros. They know when they're playing well and when they're not playing well. And uh, it's just a matter of you know get, just putting the time in, watching film, and and uh, I think the coaching staff just remaining positive. Uh, like I said, they're pros. They're, they aren't, these aren't seventeen and eighteen year old young men. But but Green needs to to play better. Engels needs to play better. Uh, certainly, Connolly, you see signs of him maybe breaking out, but he probably has been the uh, the biggest surprise is just how long it's taken him to make this transition. And I mean, he's a great, he's a really good player. He's a great human being. He's a team guy, but but he needs to play better. Yeah, that's the bottom line, and there's no question about that. I'm wondering as I watch with Ingles in the starting lineup, in my mind, he's better off there because. He can make players look better, but it's harder to make the role players look better. I think it's easier, obviously, to make the stars look better. And in turn, it's making him look better. So his value, and I'm not an expert by any stretch, but I'm just looking at the games here, is that I think his value is decreased with reserves because he doesn't make them look as good, nor is he as good so with that in mind if he comes in the starting lineup as a permanent then somebody else had to has to go and you're looking at it and thinking all right what can give me the best firepower coming off the bench and i'm wondering if they should should consider conley because then he could dominate the ball in that group but do you think that gets sticky when you're dealing with a you know a veteran of his stature and 
being used to being in a starting lineup, and now you might ask him to come off the bench. How, how would that work? You know what? I, I'm not so sure that he would. He, he'll probably, knowing him, he would embrace whatever he was, you know, asked to do because he's a team guy, and and they're paying him a lot of money. And I mean, he's just his character. He's a high character player, and man. But you, you're right. I, I think the thing about Ingles is that he he's a complimentary player. And the sum of the parts of that group with him in it, he knows exactly what his role is. I agree with you that he distributes the ball better. And in that group, too, he gets wide-open looks, whereas in, in you, you get that second-unit group, and sometimes they're playing against different lineups, and, and there's more defensive pressure. Um, I mean, if you switch angles, no Neil, you know, I, I, and, and I, I know they would never do this, but if, if you had angles in the starting lineup, and kept O'Neal there, which kind of looks like last year's team. And, uh, you know, what if Bogdanovich came off the bench and carried that team and uh, plays the same minutes, plays the same minutes, um, and is going to play 80% of his minutes with the starting group, but all of a sudden they have instant offense there. And that, and that may seem a little bit crazy, but I, I just don't think – I think Ingles is better starting, and I think <clears throat> O'Neal is not going to have an issue – not starting. He's shooting 46% from the field, 44% from the three. But O'Neal is, he's not the guy there that they're looking to get the ball to. You know, he's a complimentary player. He's, he's got decent numbers in terms of his percentage, but he has a different role there. So I don't think it really matters whether O'Neal starts. I think the fact is that they play 26 games and Ingles, is has not as been as good as he's been the last two or three years. So why not, why not start him and, and make that adjustment? But if, if things get really crazy, and you know, I mean, let's not panic here. They're fifteen and eleven. They're in you know the sixth seed. I think Dallas without Doncic, maybe end up being the sixth seed two weeks from now, and uh, Utah bumps up. I mean, where did we really think Utah was going to be? And we knew Denver was coming back. We knew Houston was coming back with a better team, maybe not showing it and demonstrating it every night on the floor, the Clippers and the Lakers. We always kind of thought Utah would be that fifth seed. So rather than maybe panicking, it's like they're kind of right where everybody thought they would be. Maybe not where everybody hoped they would be, but that's probably about where they belong in terms of talent and experience and all the things that go with it. So I don't, I don't think it's a major issue. I mean, I think by the end of the year, they're going to be probably – fourth or fifth place, uh, you know, they, their schedule softens a little bit in this next road trip, but I wouldn't make dramatic changes. I mean, I know bringing up McDonough, it sounds like a dramatic change, but you could do something like that for a, an experiment. You know, you go on the road and play maybe a lesser team or at home, especially when you, maybe you're not playing a top four or five team in the conference and just see what it looks like again. But I, I, I wouldn't panic here. I, I think the schedule is going to soften up if, if all of a sudden there's a seventh or eighth seed a month from now, then, then yeah, I think you do have to maybe make some changes. Well, uh, I don't want to get too bogged down in the goals, but I think the goal um, inside the organization and with the fans weren't crazy. I mean, there's a certain amount of fan base like, number one, win the title! But I think that if they'd gotten to the three seed, then they'd have a decent chance to win in the second round and get to a conference final. And they haven't been anywhere that, near that, the conference that's doable. Final. That's doable. Okay, so you know, and especially with Houston being somewhat dysfunctional, but Dallas has been kind of a surprise team, and and Denver seems to be finding themselves again. So those are the teams that they're going to be competing against for that third seed. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm curious, and you started to go this way with Bogdanovich, and I wondered, as a coach, if you did this, you know, you want your team to have a personality and a way of playing, and, and I know what Quinn, I know what the Jazz look like offensively when they're playing the way Quinn wants them to move, the movement off the ball, and the way the ball moves, there's a whole rhythm to it. But the bench doesn't seem to be anywhere near mastering that, no matter which one or two starters you put out there with them. What about going with a group of five guys as a starter and a different group and letting the bench group play differently? And if that means one-on-one play for Moutier, one-on-one for Mitchell if he's out there, or Bogdanovich if he's out there, signing off on it and not doing all the stuff the starting unit does because they just don't know that the bench has the skill set. Is it too dangerous to have that, those different personalities, or could that work? Well, here's the thing. I, I think what you do, especially when you go to the bench and you, and you go to guys that maybe don't have that, that skill set to create their own shots, that you do, or, or maybe like you said, where they're more comfortable running ISOs and doing those. I think, you, I think all coaches will, will do that during the course of a game, is that they'll run different action or they'll run different quick hitters. They'll do things to the strengths of those teams rather than running the primary offense that just flows and Moving without the ball because when you go to the bench, you, you don't you don't have that star power. You don't. I mean, you'll usually have one of the stars out there, but I, I don't think that's a, an unreasonable idea at all. I think coaches do that anyway when they have to go to their bench. They're looking for two or three feet, maybe two guys out there on the bench they're trying to get shots for, and that may not look like what the starting group does, but it could it could be more ISO oriented, it could be more ball screen oriented, and it could be shoot the ball quicker. Okay, let's take the first available really good shot with this group rather than waiting too late in the shot clock where pressure and percentages go down. Talk to you a little bit about the college. goes up, but the percentages go down. I got you. Yeah, talk to you about the college. I thought that Utah State and BYU was a phenomenal game. I actually came, I went to the game, I came away encouraged from uh, the game, but for both teams, because I look at Utah State and they're incorporating Kedem back in. You know, he had the injury. He's playing uh, only his second game back. So it's going to take, obviously, a few games for him to to get uh, everything going. And then the Cougars won the game. And so, obviously, they got to feel good about it. Uh, as you look at both of these teams, I'm expecting both of them to be contenders in their conferences and contend for an NCAA bid. How about you? I, I completely agree. Uh you know, I've watched Utah State in person the last couple of years because, and especially last year, I watched their team. And, of course, I watched the game the other night on television. Um, I do like Utah State's team. And when Kenneth gets healthy, they're a different team. He can protect the rim and he can score. Um, and they're, they're really solid. I, I, didn't, I didn't know exactly what the injury was uh, to the guard there for Utah State. I know he missed a game or what the circumstances were. But I, I love the flow of the game offensively for both of these teams, and for both of these teams, they not only they only not only move the ball well through ball screen action and everything, but they're moving without the ball at the same time, and they they have just great synergy as both of these teams. They just play together. They all seem so connected, and it doesn't matter what they run. And there's a very high Q. I, you know, the, the IQ of the basketball being played for both those teams, they make the decisions, they don't take a lot of bad shots, and they make you beat, you know, you you, you got to beat them because they're not going to beat themselves. And uh, and then they're just really solid defensively. And I think for BYU, you know, the, the addition of Barcello and Toulson, uh, 
Nixon playing better, TJ kind of playing within himself, and obviously Yoli is what he is, but and I'm coming back now, and it will have an influence and impact in every game. But this is the this is the most efficient and effective BYU team I've seen in three or four years. I mean, they they really are together, and uh, they seem to have a great energy. They're defending, but you know, and you do defend the ball better when you're scoring. I mean, there's energy. You, know, you go three, four, five possessions without scoring, it impacts the other end. But I do like both of these teams, and I do believe that both of these teams will be in the NCAA tournament. I think, you know, in the WCC, we, we know that Gonzaga is always going to be the team to beat. St. Mary's is really solid. And USF and Santa Clara are good teams, but th- this is a three-horse race. I believe that BYU can play well enough to beat both St. Mary's and Gonzaga at home. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. It doesn't happen very often. But I think if any group was going to do that in one year, beat Gonzaga and St. Mary's in the same year, this is probably the year that it would happen. Just because of all the experience, senior leadership, and really having each position really really being solid in their top six or seven. I got so sick of watching BYU lose 85, 86-78 games that I just thought they had no business losing. And they just didn't seem to, for years, with different guys, they didn't seem to be invested in defending. This group does. Most of their games now are played below 70. When they give up more than 70 points, they're still basically a 500 team. But they're holding most teams yep. under 70, which is why they got so many wins. Is it just the personality of these guys buying it in? Is it the urgency a new coach brings and all the guys are hold over? Like, I got to impress this guy. Is it the fact they're seniors and they want to go to the tourney and they know if they don't defend, they're not going to the NCAA tourney? Why are they defending so much better? I, I think it's a combination probably of a lot of those things. I think, I think first of all, the additions of Marcello and Toulson. I, I, I was just around them a little bit. I, I was there few months ago before the season started and I just watched them. They were just having an open gym and I, I, I just popped in there to see what was going on. And those five on five Saturday games just playing amongst themselves, no coaches around. There, there was a toughness and a competitiveness there that those two brought. I mean, I, I, there weren't any fights or anything, but it was like this, they were competitive. They were competitors. And, and I, I think there's a certain toughness that those two bring to this team that that's kind of been missing, uh, and I, and I like I like the fact that uh, that there everybody just shares the ball, and and it it doesn't get sticky anywhere. But there, I think you go back to number one for me is is just the mindset and the toughness of this group, and they are better defensively. They do have good size in their guard play. You know, they're six four, six five, so they have a little bit of length. I think Dalton Nixon. Uh, has really come in and played it with a really high degree of confidence. He's another kid that's really tough and has fit in. And I think you ha- you do have a new coach and there's new energy. And I think I like what they're doing offensively. They're obviously sharing the ball, but there's a lot of ball screen action, but a lot of action away from the ball. They just the ball never stops, and it, it just uh, has made them. They bought into that, and then having Yoli come back gives you a different dimension now too in terms of being able to score inside and, and to rebound the ball. So I see both these teams going to the NC2A tournament. I, I, I just I think they'll both finish in the top two in their leagues. Uh, San Diego State is playing really well. You're all going to get a chance to see San Diego State uh, uh, in, in the Mountain West Conference play against Utah State. Uh, but 
I, I and they beat BYU. Didn't they beat BYU at home at BYU? I believe Correct. San yes. Diego State did. So yes. But you're you're looking at San Diego State and Utah State is probably the top two teams. Uh, the Mountain West is improved this year. They are they are they are better at the top half. Whereas the WCC, I think, is is about what they've been. I think you can expect San Francisco, Santa Clara. I mean, Pacific has a really glossy record, considering they lost everybody. So we'll have that still to be seen. But this WCC is really still top heavy. It's those top three teams. Yeah. After I got home, I uh, watched the second half of Gonzaga and Arizona down in Tucson. I remember Dave Rose years ago. We had him on. He said the thing about Gonzaga is they not only have the number one best big man in the league. They got the second best big man, and most time they have the third best big man. And then I look at these guys, they're just running them out there, one after another, and they're beating Arizona. Arizona's such a young team, starting three freshmen, and uh, so, you know, they have an opportunity to get better, but still, you're going into Tucson and you're winning that ball game, and they beat three Pac-12 teams away from Gonzaga. It looks like, here we go again with these guys. Yeah, they are. And having Tilly, it looks like maybe Tilly is finally healthy. And there's a lot of new names that are new faces, and I've seen just glimpses of them on TV a little bit, so I'm not as familiar yet with them team. But once WCC plays, I'll, I'll become more familiar. But it, you're right, it's the same old story. I mean, they, they've done amazing things with transfers year in and year out that have impacted that program. But get, if Tilly is healthy and can play, he really stretches the defense, and he can rebound the ball, and he's played in big games. And... Uh, so him coming back and him getting healthy uh, makes him probably a pretty solid lock. But those are that's going to be a great game. I think the Gonzaga game at BYU, uh, I, I look at that as being a really, really good game. And I, I think if they shoot the ball well, obviously, which they usually do on their own, it, it could be a really uh, uh, a competitive game and a game that BYU could win. You know, St. Mary's, you know, the last time they played Gonzaga, <laughs> they kind of owned them. So... They'll have two more chances this year. We'll see what happens. So I like that race. And both, both leagues are going to be really competitive. And they're still a little bit top-heavy. Steve, we appreciate a few minutes, as always. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome, guys. Have a, have a great day. Steve Cleveland's our basketball insider. He joins us every week here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We'll take a break. When we come back, what is trending? Another piece of the NFL playoff puzzle, Monday Night Football with the Saints. We'll tell you all about that next. Jazz are playing tonight. We'll get to that. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.